What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Season 4, Episode 7 of Inside the Labyrinth Podcast. This is Frank, one of your hosts speaking. This episode is sponsored by Valor Supplements and No Matter What Apparel. Use the code RFR10 in caps for 10% off your total purchase at www.valorsupplements.net. Use the code Inside the Lab in caps for 10% off your total purchase at www.nomatterwhatapparel.com. Both companies are owned by first responders, so let's give back to first responders who give back to us. In this episode, I had the honor and privilege to sit down and speak with New Jersey Detective Brad. All I can say is thank you, Brad, for your strengths, experience, and hope, and being so open about your journey. Not only is Brad a friend of mine, but a team member of Reps for Responders, a great father, and a great man. New Jersey is very lucky to have you, and thank you for being a beacon of hope for all first responders. Sit back and enjoy the ride. It's a bumpy one with a very smooth ending. And happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Let's cherish this year because we know what life can really bring us. All in, stick together. Have a great day. And we're live. Welcome to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast, Season 4, Episode 7, the season finale. Uh, really excited for today. As you guys can see, if you're looking um, virtually, it'll be up on YouTube, uh, we have our guest in person. So this is the first in-person episode. Uh, really uh, good friend of mine. I uh, can't wait to hear his story, share his story with you guys. Um, before we get into that, uh, Jay couldn't make it with us. So that's why we are uh, going, um, we're doing this in person and we're going to finish this season strong. Last episode, we had uh, Swede Burns. So make sure you guys check that out. Great episode where he opens up about his life um, and, and talking about his recovery. So without further ado, I will introduce uh, Bergen County Detective, close friend of mine, uh, Brad W. So Brad, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Frank. appreciate it. Um, pleasure to be here. You know, I'm um, honored to be here. Uh, been following you guys for, you know, uh, for a little bit and guess we're putting out a great message out there you know with this podcast and with uh, your organization reps for responders thanks man i appreciate that so we're going to really get inside brad's labyrinth today and um going to start out how we usually start brad how high school was for you and kind of how, how brad was in high school any sports did you like it did you enjoy it and kind of how was that experience overall for you all right, so high school for me was uh, <laughs> was interesting. You know, I um, I was uh, obviously the big kid, as you could tell, in, in, in school. You know, but uh, I was a very emotional kid as well. I got picked on a lot, got bullied. Um, and uh, that obviously hurt my self-esteem and my self-image. So, uh, but one, one saving grace I had was was my size my athletic ability and um you know god blessed me with that and get you know through that i was able to get uh numerous scholarship offers to go play football you know i uh, in high school not only did i play football i uh, i wrestled played baseball uh did uh track both outdoor and indoor and i was also on the golf team believe it or not uh 
I could drive the ball country mile, you know. Um, so, you know, I did all, you know, I was well-rounded in sports in high school, uh, but football was really my, uh, it was really my forte. Yeah, it's really where I, uh, I excelled. And um, I was uh, thankful enough and to uh, receive a scholarship or an appointment to the United States Military Academy to go play football. And um, at first I had to go to the uh, to the prep school for a year down at Fort Monmouth. But we'll back up, though. But, you know, uh, getting back to high school, you know, I, um, I had my first drink when I was 15 years old. I was so I'd probably be a sophomore or junior in high school, say probably about a sophomore. And uh, that was the first time and I remember it was a, a warm Miller light, right? It was it was on a Friday, Friday evening in the fall. And uh, I remember that was the first time that I felt like I belonged, you know, and it gave me that uh, that liquid courage to let my guard down and uh, and and actually be myself, you know. And uh, Unfortunately, I would start using that throughout the rest of my career to, um, as a crutch, to let my guard down and, um, you know, to get that liquid courage to, uh, so I can be, you know, outgoing and talk to other, talk to people and stuff like that. Cause I, I suffer from social anxiety and I get really uh, awkward in social situations and stuff like that. So I would rely on the alcohol to, you know, break that down. So, you know, well, like I said, I graduated high school, um, I go on to the United States Military Academy Prep School down at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, play football down there. And uh, I remember going down there, all my friends are going out to uh, regular colleges and stuff like that and having a, a normal college experience. You know, they come, I come back from, uh, from Christmas break and they're telling me about how much booze they're drinking, how many girls are banging and stuff like that. I'm like, I got none of that. Right. I'm sleeping on a damn rifle. Right. I got nothing, you know. And uh, I remember I, I just started eating away at me. And I remember I felt like I was missing out on something, you know. Um, and I remember I was struggling down at the prep school, both academically and militarily. You know, I really wasn't uh, grasping the concepts down there and stuff like that. And um, I remember I had to come home. I, you know, I came home for Christmas break. And I had to go back at the end of my uh, at the end of my Christmas break, and I believe it was on a Sunday night. Uh, and my father's a funeral director; he owns a funeral home in New Jersey. And I'm sitting. I'm, the plan my father had a, a visiting that that afternoon, and the plan was for my mother to take me down to the prep school to drop me off. Right, prep school is down at exit 105 in the Parkway, not too far away. So the plan was for my mother to drive me down there, drop me off, and she'd come home and everything would be great. Well, I had a different plan. You know, I didn't want to go back. So uh, my mother said, all right, Brad, we got to go. I said, no, we're not going. And she started panicking. She's like, what do you mean we're not going? I'm, like, I'm not going back to school. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to do anything with this shit. I don't want, I don't want to go be here anymore, da, 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 right? So... Uh, my mother calls my father up and my father says, bring him down and uh, I'll talk to him. So my father brings me down. Uh, my mother brings me down to the funeral home. I sit in the basement with her, with him rather. And uh, I sit there for about an hour. Don't say a word. And finally, my father opens his mouth and says, you know, Brad, I'm going to tell you a story about your grandfather, uh, my father, who fought for this country back in World War II as a British citizen. 
you know, he fought in the Pacific Theater for, for four years as a medic. And in those four years, he came home once. And that was for 30 days for the death of my grandmother. And in those 30 days, he came home. He had a warm bed, was getting fed warm food, right? And, you know, he enjoyed all the freedoms that he was fighting for over there. You know, and he made a he made a might have banged my mother a couple times, right? And and he goes and he goes after the end of those thirty days, he went back to a place where there was no warm bed, no no warm food. His friends were dying around him, and he's getting getting shot at. And he went back, and he wasn't crying like you are right now. He goes, so he goes, so I'm gonna ask you right now, what the fuck are you scared about? I said nothing, sir. Then I got in the car and I went. And my father taught me a valuable lesson, and that was to never quit on anything. And because uh, my father said, "Brad, you quit now, you're gonna quit on everything the rest of your life." And he was very, very true. He was very correct in that in that statement. You know, um, except I was, I was I was able to quit one thing. We'll get into that later. Um, but you know, so I get graduate to prep school, go on to go on to West Point. Yeah, you know, and sorry, sorry to cut you off, Brad. When so when you're in a prep school there, were you playing? A few questions for you: Was football involved? And also, go back to with that conversation you have with your dad. You don't have that conversation with your dad. Do you think you followed through with the prep school, and what could have been that? If you ever think about, like you know, if I didn't go to prep school, what the hell would I would have done? So. You know, football was involved. I was playing football down there. Uh, we had a – it was like a JUCO team. We played a bunch of junior colleges like um, Nassau Community College and Lackawanna Junior College. And, um, you know, we played Navy prep and uh, schools like that. But going back to what you, the question you said, if I didn't have that conversation with my father, would I have followed through? The, question, the, the, the answer is hell no. I would not have gone back. I would have enrolled into some some junior college or some county college or, or wherever, and uh, who knows what my career path would have been. I definitely wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. Definitely would not be sitting here talking to you. And, um, you know, I always said, you know, people always ask me, like, hey, how were you able to, to, to get through that place? I go, it's so strict. And Zedder. I go, not that bad. It's, all you're doing is following the schedule, right? I go, I, I said, I, well, I go to people, I said, how did you go to a regular college? Because you're out all night drinking, and then you got to get up and take a test and go to class and stuff like that. I'm like, I couldn't do that. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I actually went to school where I went to school, right? Um, so... So, yeah, so uh, I definitely would not be here today. Definitely would not have followed through with all that. So, uh, you know, I get to West Point, and uh, I'm with the class of 2004. And I, um, I, you know, obviously being up there, you're in a stressful environment. And, you know, back in the day, we had what were those, the, the old tower computers, you know, not the little laptops that we have today, but we had like the big tower computers and uh, each cadet was given one. And what I would do is, you know, being the, uh, being the great alcoholic that I was, you know, back then I would, I would take a screwdriver, unscrew the case from the tower computer and hide booze in my computer. 
right? Because we had health and welfare inspections, they would never be able to find them, you know, and, uh, and then I would cut, you know, uh, my medicine cabinet out of the wall and hang booze in there and stuff like that. Again, they would never be able to find it. So, uh, I, I needed that just to sometimes take the edge off and stuff like that. Um, yeah, because, you know, you're waking up at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning and you're going all day until like 1230 at night, you know, and in the season, you're not getting back to your room on, you know, especially on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, you're not getting back to your room till nine o'clock at night. After it's all said and done, you're still going to do your homework that the rest of your classmates have had two hours extra head start on. But, uh, you know, in the end, it was all worth it, you know, uh, and then as as my you know years went on, I get done playing football my senior year, and you know I got to conform to Army height weight standards, and I got to pass a PT test, and so I, uh, you know, being the being the large individual that I am right now, you know, I, it, it was it was very hard. Running is not my not my sport, right? I'm not a not a long distance runner. I can run short distances. I can do sprints. I can do stuff like that, but I can't run long distances. So. Uh, we had to do a two mile run and you had to do it in eight in uh, 16 minutes and 36 seconds. And I missed a two mile run by 51 seconds and they ended up kicking me out of the Academy. Uh, and that was really, that was the turning point in my life when everything started going downhill. Uh, because I, I felt like a failure. I felt like uh, I felt like I wasn't good enough. I had all these these emotions running through my brain, and uh, at the same time, I'm feeling I'm feeling guilt because the rest of my classmates are going over and fighting for this great country, and I'm not able to. That's all I wanted to do. Ever since 9/11 hit, that's all I wanted to do. Um, and you know, I'm getting death notifications of classmates, and uh, it's hitting me hard. And, uh, and the way I would cope with it was I would, I would just keep drinking. I would just drink more and more and more. And, um, you know, and yeah, I really didn't hold a job after I got out of, got out of college. I, uh, I was doing odd jobs, you know, uh, remember I was working on a, a loading dock for Pearson education, loading books into a truck. I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, I went to school. I'm going to West Point education. What the fuck am I doing with myself? You know? But again, you have to be humbled sometimes, you know, and uh, I was working for my dad at the funeral home. And uh, finally, I made a decision, you know, to go go get into law enforcement. And uh, and I made, you know, I made that decision. And I'm very happy that I did, because all I wanted to do was. Was help people. Right. And defend people. And. Uh, and if I couldn't do that overseas, you know, I wanted to do that here stateside. So that's what I ended up doing. You know, and I entered the police academy on uh, August 27th, 2007, the Port Authority Police Academy, class 109. And um, I had a great, uh, it, was, it was a great experience there. Um, I remember the first day, you know, the, the instructors are, are yelling at me, you know, going all up and down me, and, you know, because I'm the biggest guy there trying to make an example out of me. And I'm like, it's not phasing me. I'm just la I'm literally laughing at them. And then when they found out where I went to college, it like clicked in their head, like, oh, no wonder why this kid's not, you know, he's not, uh, you know, flinching at anything we're saying, saying to him. But, uh, it, you know, that was a good experience. And then I did, uh, you know, after that, I did four years, four and a half years down in Port Newark, 
uh, working down there. And all during this time, you know, my drinking starts keep keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. You know, uh, getting shore houses down the Jersey Shore. You know, going to DJs. You know, you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. You know, then going to work on Monday morning. Uh, you know, just uh, not a care in the world. You know, um, I'm like a complete total asshole and no regard for anyone else. Right. And, um, you know, as as my career started going, keep keep going out, you know, I wanted I wanted to get out of where I was, where I was working and uh, go on to a bigger and better uh, uh, department, you know, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I ended up where I'm at now. And um, it was the greatest move. And that's actually uh, tomorrow will be nine years that I've actually been there. Uh, and it's the greatest move I ever made in my life. Um, because uh, if I didn't make this move to the department where I'm at now, um, I sure as hell would not be here talking to you because I'd probably be dead. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But... The, uh, so I get hired there and um, I get put into the special victims unit. And uh, for those of you that don't know, special victims units, uh, you know, uh, we investigate uh, sexual assaults, uh, you know, crimes of sexual nature and uh, child abuse. And um, that was probably one of the most, um, you see a lot of vicarious trauma there because you're listening to, um, a lot of young kids describe to you in a forensic interview how they've been sexually assaulted, right? Or how they've been physically beaten or neglected. And uh, it takes a toll on you. You know, it takes a special person to work in that squad, I always say, uh, because you have to have both the compassion, right? And you also have to you also have to be kind to the suspect because they have what you want. And that's a confession, right? So you gotta, you, you gotta, you know, you know, be very, very nice to them knowing full well what they just, the, the heinous act that they just committed to this young child. And, um, that started wearing on me a little bit. Um, I remember one, one case that stands out, uh, with me is a case where I had a nine month old baby, uh, it was uh, Valentine's Day, 2014. A nine-month-old baby goes to a hospital in, in Bergen County and is uh, overdosing on heroin, right? And uh, the kid had coded three times on the way to the hospital. And long story short, come to find out that the the the, uh, the mother and the boyfriend were snorting heroin, and they they dropped an empty wax paper fold in the ground. And the nine-month-old goes around, crawls around, picks it up, puts it in his mouth. Come to find out that this bag was laced with uh, with fentanyl, and there was enough residue in that bag to give that kid an overdose. And um, so, I interviewed the mother. She's lying to me. Interviewed interview the boyfriend, and he's this little little shit, wise ass, right? Obviously, he's a heroin addict, you know. And uh, I wanted to just launch him through the wall. You know, but obviously, you know, you can't. But I just had so much anger and hatred towards him for what he had did to this child. It, um, it, it, it almost over, overtook me, you know, and thank God it didn't. Um, 
And so, and I remember I had to go see the child was transferred to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. And I remember walking into the PICU at uh, Columbia Press and uh, seeing his baby, nine months old, intubated on a ventilator, all hooked up to all these machines, laying there motionless. It looks like a looks like a doll laying in, laying in the in the bed, and that was the first time I've ever cried on the job. And uh, I had to literally had to walk out of the room and like go to the bathroom and just let it all out because uh, I didn't want my sergeant or anyone to see the nurses see me cry. But I said, how could someone do this to a, to a, an innocent child like this? You know, and uh, I really, I really, dr- uh, I drank a lot over that one. Um, and, uh, you know, people would always ask me like, how, how do you deal with, with listening to these cases, you know, and investigating these cases? I said, man, I got two, I got very two, I got two very close friends that I rely on. And that's Tito's and John Jameson, you know, and that's what I would drink. I would drink Tito's and Jameson, you know, and, uh, and around this time, uh, you know, I, I ended up getting married and um, at first, everything's good because uh, her and I are going out. We're, we're spending time with our friends and just doing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm the immature one and she's a mature one. You know, she knows when to shut it down. Me, I don't. Right. I'm like the Energizer Bunny. I just keep going and going and going. And uh, so we end up having we end up getting uh, she ends up getting pregnant. And we ended up having our first child in uh, June 5th of 2015. And uh, I remember I resented the, the birth of my, my, um, my son, JJ, because uh, I was so selfish. And I said, and I was like, how am I supposed to change? You're like, buddy, you're coming into my world, right? And you expect me to change my actions, my habits for you? <laughs> Doesn't work that way, bud. You know, and uh, I can honestly say, and you know, that I I didn't, I never woke up to change him, never woke up to feed him, never woke up to do any of those things. And uh, looking back on, it, I, I I regret not doing those things because um, I'll never have that opportunity ever again. It's that's time that I can't get back. You know, and. Uh, you know, I like I was checked out with my kids. You know, I was so focused on work and providing for my family because I thought that's what being a father was, being able to provide for your family. No, being a father is like being there for them, right? And being a role model for them and um, establishing that relationship with them, you know? And uh, I, I, I didn't do that. And uh, that's one of my biggest regrets that I have as a result of my disease was that I, I didn't spend those early years connecting with my children, you know, and uh, now I see why they're more attached to my wife than they are to me. Um, so, you know, I keep going and uh, get yeah, So first of all, thanks, Brad, for... Uh your courage and honesty right there. Cause that stuff is not easy to say, man. So I give you props to that. Um, so going back to that 2014 timeframe real quick, um, when you kind of, you know, said, I don't know if it was Jose or Jack or whoever it was and what your wife, 
Now, then when that happened, like when you guys were, you know, first got married, did she ever say anything to you or in your mind about drinking and alcoholism as in just, did you ever look in the mirror and say, Oh, Brad, you know, cause for me, if I went on a, if I blacked out or whatever, I would wake up and feel really guilty and ashamed, but I don't know of what, you know, mm -hmm. but at that time, you know, someone says, you know, you're an alcoholic. You think everyone thinks of people that an alcoholic is the homeless man on the corner mm -hmm. of Webster Avenue in the Bronx or somewhere in Jersey with a, with a uh, paper bag, you know? Mm -hmm. So did that ever cross your mind or did your wife ever say, Brad, you're drinking too much that early stage of, of the marriage and everything. And, you know, that providing of the family with, you know, the money, money, money. Um, I'm working so we can have a nice house, you know, so we, we can, we can do these vacations or have the shore house. Um, and I really like how you said, you know, that's not what it's about. It's actually physically being there. And some, a lot of guys on the job will get caught up in the overtime and, you know, they'll miss a birthday or they'll miss something. Oh, there's next year, but we don't know if there's going to be next year and we don't know what if the same mindset is going to change. So kind of want to see your thought um, process about, about all that. So my, my, my wife never told me that uh, in the beginning that I was an alcoholic and I never saw myself as an alcoholic, you know, because I was surrounding myself with the, with other alcoholics so we were so we were acting the same way so i'm like oh this is normal i'm acting just like brian i'm just acting just like brandon you know, it's all the same right so um you know she never made mention to me about anything like that and uh, i come to find out that later on uh she was actually scared of me to say anything and that hurt because the last thing I want is my family to be scared of me. I'm supposed to be their protector, right? And guardian. And I'm not supposed to strike fear into them. And when she told me that, she told me that her, that she was scared of me. Um, you know, my kids, I think, were a little too young to verbalize it at the time. But I'm sure they were because all they saw was daddy screaming. That my in-laws were scared of me, right? And, uh. That's, this is not good, you know, and I, uh, it's one of the biggest things that I've changed. Like, I, I don't want anyone to be scared of me except for someone on the other, on the other side of the door where I'm going through it, you know, but, uh, the, um, but, you know, you're, you're also talking about, you know, um, the work and, uh, and being there for your family. All right. I'm an addict. Okay. So whether it be with compulsive buying, whether it be with um, alcohol, which was my biggest one was my downfall, right? Thank God I never got into gambling. All right. Um, because I, oh Christ, I'd be, I'd be homeless. I mean, all right. Um, but the biggest thing I saw that I was a workaholic. And I always put work in front of my family. And to those guys that are out there listening, girls that are out there listening, who may, may be on the job or just getting on the job, don't ever do that. Don't ever put your family in front of the job because you know what? You are nothing but a tax ID number to them. You are nothing but a badge number to them. 
you are replaceable. Okay. They have a thousand new recruits coming in every single class, right? You will be replaced after your 20 years are done. Okay. And, you know, talking about missing holidays and birthdays and stuff like that. I missed the last Thanksgiving that I had with my grandfather because of work. Right. And, um, I regret that. And it wasn't for some legit case or anything like that. It was for some, it was for some girl who got a little too drunk and made the wrong decision. And, uh, for that, I miss my grand. Uh, I miss uh, Thanksgiving dinner with my grandfather, the last one I'll ever have with him. Um, now at you know, and, and you know, like twenty-two months ago when everything came to a head, you know, I was working six, seven days a week. Um, I'd be picking up extra slots on our uh, on the SWAT truck. Uh, just to make money, right? Just to make money. And I also did it for a reason because I didn't want to be home. I didn't want to be around the chaos at home because for some reason, I was more comfortable being in a high-stress situation at work than I was at being home. And it's because we're trained to deal with those high-stress situations at work. Through our training at the academy and our on-the-job training, we come, we become uh, inoculated to that, right? And uh, I never got it. I never understood how I was able to, to cope with that stuff at home, right? But now I can. And uh, one of the biggest things that I, <laughs> you know, biggest things that I have at work, right, in my cubicle. You know, I have all my my, my desk set up, uh, you know, and um, off to the side, I have a, a Paw Patrol uh, five-minute storybook. There's like seven different stories in it, right? And uh, it's a book I received from a friend of mine at the last rehab I was at. And it just so happened to be the same book that I would read to my boys every single night when I would put them to bed. And I have that on my desk. And I keep it there as a reminder that when I start getting too much into my work, I look at that and remind myself what's more important in life. It's my family. Right? You know, yes, doing your work, you have a responsibility to get your job done, to do your work, right? But listen, don't don't neglect your family, right? Um, because they're the ones who are going to be there for you through the, through the thick and thin. You know, they're going to be there for you when you hit rock bottom, right? And uh, they're going to be the ones there who are going to love you um, unconditionally, you know? And uh, thank God that was the case for me. You know, and, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's it. That's what I got. Thanks, Brad. And congrats on the, uh, the 22 months. That's yeah. huge. Um, now that 
that 22 months maybe we can if the first responder or cops struggling out there or or anybody you know brad's talking about you know 22 months sober from alcoholism maybe take us through kind of how you really what we talk about surrender what was that what was that what was that not that day but where brad was like you know what all right i have to surrender because i know that you know it's like you, you want to call for backup but but you don't want to because you you think you can handle it by yourself out there type of deal. So kind of take us through that. Okay, I'm going to surrender phase because I have to. What Brad just, you know, basically just spoke about was, you know, not even for, he had to surrender for himself, but his family because he almost almost lost everything from the job and from you know, the alcoholism and the stress of the job. And his, his coping skills were now, his, his coping skills were 22 months ago. So kind of take us through that surrendering, Brad, where, and if you guys, you know, a lot of our listeners listen through Spotify and Apple, I, um, Apple podcasts or anything. So not on watch or on YouTube, but you know, you look at Brad, he's kind of looks like the mountain from Game of Thrones, Thor. I mean, he's like six, eight, I don't know, he is 280 now. looks pretty slim. And I know he uh, was, uh, you know, got, hurt his knee, but with big, you know, pulling like 700 pound deadlift tattoos and everything. So you look at him and he, you definitely, don't put the voice to uh, the very so, so, soft-spoken Brad. So I want to give you guys kind of, you know, what he is right next to me, literally an arm length away. Um, so kind of bring us through that Brad where he said, fuck it, I'm, I am I have to surrender. So I'll take you back to basically it's going to be uh, the, the summer, the spring, summer of 2018. Um, I had gotten, like, beginning of 2018, I got jammed up at work and I, uh, I got my gun and badge taken away from me and got knocked over five vacation days because of a, an incident at a bar where I was drunk and acting like an idiot. And, uh, and I made a comment saying that, you know, this should be a, this should be a, um, a wake up call to me that I need to stop drinking. And, um, my Sergeant heard that and she told my Lieutenant, my Lieutenant told my captain, my captain called my chief and I get brought in and you know, I get my gun and badge taken from me. And I'll, and you know, if uh, any of the listeners out there have ever gotten their gun and badge taken from you, that's like uh, it's the equivalent of getting your balls cut off, right? Because that's like that's your identity as a cop, right? And uh, it shouldn't be, okay. All it is is a piece of you know oh, polymer plastic. And, and and stainless steel and a, a cheap piece of tin that goes in your chest. That's all it is, right? It should not be your identity, right? Uh, so I was sober for nine months. I was excuse me, for, for three months. And then my wife tells me, like, hey, let's go out to dinner. I'm like, all right. You know, I got my, by this time I got my gun and badge back and I was back to full duty. Uh, but not in the squad where I was. Um, so I get back full duty and I uh, go out to dinner with my wife. And uh, while I'm at dinner, I'm, I'm, I'm being good, being good. She goes, you know, Brad, you've been doing so well. Why don't you just order a glass of wine? I ordered lamb chop for dinner or something like that. She's like, why don't you just order a glass of wine? I'm like, oh, well, she gave me the go ahead. I got the green light. Let's go. So uh, I ordered a glass of wine and I legit take one sip and, and walks a, uh, and walks one of my, uh, one of my bosses at work 
And I said, fuck, put it down, get rid of this. She chugged the glass, put it on the bus boy. He was walking, put it on his tray, and um, that was it. That one sip, eight months later, landed me in rehab because I took off like a fucking, like a thoroughbred coming out of the gate. I was, I would go down to the, to the local Dunkin' Donuts in my town, get the Arnold Palmer, right? I drink half of it and then put, take, go to the next door to the liquor store, take a pint of Tito's and pour the pint in there and be walking around the house drinking that all day long, drinking John Daly's. I started doing that like once or twice a day, ended up doing that like five times a day. Um, it's not normal. <laughs> um, then uh, I ended up going on a family vacation down LBI with my with my wife and her um, and her family, and uh, we ended up getting into a big blowout argument, uh, fight, and uh, was not good. It was not good at all, and that's what my wife told me. She gave me the ultimatum. She was like, you need to go to AA. I said, fine, I'll go to AA for you. Not knowing what anything what AA was about. So I walk into my first meeting. It's a Monday night meeting, 7 o'clock. I walk in, listen to all these stories. I remember saying to myself, I'm not like these people. I can control my drinking, right? And I'm just like, and looking back on it now, like Brad, you are like the prime candidate for 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 AA, right? And um, it's it, I, I always laugh at that because you know that's what everyone everyone says their first time when they walk into a room. Oh, I'm not. I don't belong here. I'm not like them. Yes, you are. If you say that, you are right. So I. Uh, so I, didn't, I went to one meeting. I came home. And I told my wife, "I'm cured. I'm good. I don't need to go anymore." She's like, don't, "Like you have to go like every day, don't you?" I'm like, no, I went once. Like I, you know, I got the magic cure. I'm good to go. But things just started getting worse, worse, worse. I ended up getting kicked out of my house, moved back in with my parents, and uh, um, then in November, like the Monday after Thanksgiving in 2018, I ended up getting getting hit by a car down in Camden. Uh, during work, and that—that uh, that is what really catapulted me going forward for the next month. That's when I started like stopping off at work after work, picking up one pint of Jameson, then picking up two pints, then picking up three pints, and finishing that one pint in a two-minute drive that it took me to get from the liquor store to my house, and then having those other two on standby, or I put them throughout the house. So I can say, oh, I'm just going upstairs to go grab something real quick. And I go upstairs, take a swig. You know, my wife started marking the bottles, you know, in the in the liquor cabinet where they were. Uh, because I was, you know, one thing I, I, I hated tequila, right? And um, my wife started noticing that her Cabo Wabo was kept on going down, 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 down. And she hadn't had a margarita in like six months. So finally you know she she called me out on it. it's like have you been drinking my tequila go, no what are you talking about i hate tequila you know i get sick on it and well that was me just drinking tequila you know and i had i had bottles hidden all over the house and um i remember uh it was my last drink is december 25th 2018 and uh i remember i had to go on i was on the swat truck that day because i was on the swat team at this time right and i had to go and drive around the county 
and um, I had it on the 26th, so I had to be up at like seven. So I get home. I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm going home early. Uh, she stayed down by her parents, and uh, I get home, and we had the ring doorbell, right? And just recently installed in our in our front door, and uh, me being uh, being the smart guy that I am. I come home and then I walk out the front door again and I don't call, don't come home till three o'clock in the morning. And my wife gets the alert at me three o'clock in the morning, sees me stumbling through the front door. She doesn't say anything to me the next day. She says something to me on the 27th. And I said, she goes to me and she came home from work and I just got done putting, putting my son's uh, bike together that my in-laws had gotten for Christmas. He's all happy, he's riding it around and stuff like that. And uh, my wife comes home, puts my son to sleep for his nap. And she tells me, she goes, Brad, I want a divorce. And the only thing I thought of was me losing my children and not being able to see them anymore. And it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. Again, yeah, the feeling, the the feelings of not being good enough come come back to come back to my mind, being a failure come back into my mind, um, and again, just the self hatred just takes over, and um, I didn't want to live. I did not want to live anymore, and so I'm emotional. I'm crying, bawling hysterically. I jump into the car and I drive. And I remember sending her a text message saying, I'm sorry, I love you, you're not gonna have to deal with me anymore. And I shut, shut off my phones. And I was gonna drive to the top of, to, to the lookout of this mountain, and uh, I'm just gonna sit up there, and you know, I wanted, I wanted to shoot myself. And uh, I get to the top, and for, I don't know what, what the hell it was, divine intervention, what, but something told me to turn my phone on. And I turn my phone on and I see all these text messages from my wife saying, where are you? Call me, you know, and all this stuff. So I pick up the phone and I call her. I go, what's up? She's hysterical crying. She's like, where are you? I go, you know, I tell her where I'm at. And uh, she's like, the cops are here. And I just said, what the fuck did you just do? Oh, you just ruined my career. See, that right there shows you how self-centered I was and how work-driven I was, where all I cared about was a job. And my response to my wife making a phone call for me was, you just ruined my career. No, you dumb idiot. She just saved your life. And it took me a while to realize that. So I do a voluntary, um, you know, uh, admission to, uh, to a hospital. Stay there for, for a couple days. And uh, the guys that we worked on, uh, guys that train us in a SWAT team, um, company called tomahawk they're down in nashville um they have a charitable organization associated with them and they're uh they're a great bunch of guys a bunch of uh retired navy spec op guys and uh, a couple army spec op guys and uh 
they have uh, connections with a bunch of organizations and a bunch of facilities all over the country. And uh, one of which is a place called Warrior's Heart out in Bandera, Texas. So the one of the uh, CEOs of the company of Tomahawk, uh, a gentleman by the name of Wally, we'll call him Wally, makes a phone call to one of the founders of Warrior's Heart. His name is Tom Spooner. He's a you know retired Army Special Operations, and uh, makes a phone call. And I get in there on January first, two thousand nineteen. I am client number one for two thousand nineteen, and I spent the next forty two days there. And that was the first time in my life that I felt normal because I was surrounded by a bunch of people. Um, who we're all cut from the same cloth, you know, we're all of the warrior community, warrior mindset. Um, it was only, it's only, um, active duty military veterans and first responders. And, uh, it's, it's great. Um, I developed a very, very strong relationship with both of my, um, both my therapists out there. You know, and they had a lot of things to offer too, other than just the, 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 the you know, the uh, addiction recovery and the, you know, the, the, the mental therapy too. They, you know, they had other things to help you with your, with your journey, such as they had a wood shop, right? Where I got to make a, a couple wooden flags, one of which I made for my chief and uh, one of which I made for, for my SWAT team. You know, and I say, you know, the reason why I made one for my chief was because if it wasn't for that man, again, I wouldn't be standing here today because they were going to send me to a place down in Florida. Um, and my chief put the, put the brakes on that. He said, no, we got to send Brad to a place where there's, where he's surrounded by people like him. You know, Brad doesn't need to be listening to, uh, you know, some some young kid talk about how, uh, you know, they didn't get their way, and you know, also now they're now they're an addict, right? He needs to talk to people. He needs to be around people that have uh, seen some stuff and been through some shit, and can that Brad can relate to, you know, and uh, he had that he had that forward thinking. And uh, honestly, if it wasn't for him, I would not be here today. And uh, I can I can honestly say, without a doubt, he's probably one of he is the best leader I ever served under. And um, I'm very very grateful for him. So you know, I, you know, I spent my um, so at least by making him a flag, it's the least I could do for him. You know. Um, and he actually was very, very thankful I did that. And he, he has it hanging in his office. So, you know, I, then they had a, a metal shop. You can make, you know, so I made like two tomahawks out there. I made a tomahawk for uh, for my team as well. And I made a tomahawk for a, for a guy, Wally, who made the phone call, right? And um, but one awesome thing that they had there too was they had CrossFit as an option, right? So across the highway from where 
uh, Warrior's Heart was. So that's, Warrior's Heart, is, I want to say it's on like a 745-acre ranch, right, cattle ranch out in uh, um, ben, the hill country of Bandera, Texas. And across the, across the highway from it is this uh, CrossFit place called Uber CrossFit. And from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock every single day, I'd be in the box at the CrossFit gym, right, and just work my ass off. And that's what I needed, right? I needed to get that, get those endorphins going again from working out, you know, and uh, and just feeling good about yourself, you know. Um, and I did. I th- I did not miss a single day of CrossFit while I was there. I'm not not gonna lie to you. The first week or two, I couldn't sit down and take a shit, right? <laughs> but you know, after that, the, the, the you know, it uh, all the, the soreness wore off, and I was feeling great. You know, and I still keep in touch with the owner there, Sylvia. I still keep in touch with her. Um, every now and then, we, we send each other text messages. But uh, that place was great. You know, um, Warrior's Heart was phenomenal. And um, but one thing, you know, you talk about letting go. I was able to let go of the alcohol, right? I was able to surrender the alcohol. One of the things about I wasn't able to surrender was my anger, resentment, and hatred. And that's what came to bite me in the ass. Because when I got back, you know, when I got back from Warrior's Heart, you know, I had to go in for surgery for my knee for when I got hurt. So I had to go in for the surgery, and um, my wife told me, she goes, hey, listen, when you get out of the surgery, you don't don't bother coming home. Don't come home. Just go to your parents' house. I'm like, okay. So I come home, and uh, she... She says, uh, you know, I'm sorry. So I go to my parents' house, and a week later, my house is on the market. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? She's like, well, I, I don't want to live here anymore. All right. So I, the, the anger and the resentment just keeps getting fueled and fueled and fueled. And at this point, you know, I'm feeling very depressed and angry and stuff like that. And, I, you know. I'm doing things that I, you know, we're separated, right? And I'm doing things that, you know, looking back on it, I never should have done, right? Um, you know, talking, you know, and doing a lot of things that are out of character for me, you know, um, talking to different girls and stuff like that. And uh, that was, that became my vice and, and, and how to deal with things. And uh, ended up selling our house. I ended up moving into a one-bedroom apartment, and uh, it was just, it wasn't good. It was not in a good place. And um, I I just fell into a deep, 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 deep depression. And uh, eventually, um, it all came to a head in December of 2019 when uh, when a phone call was made to my department by by one of the uh, individuals that uh, by, by by anonymous individual, right, saying that uh, I was threatening my life, so I was brought in. So now I don't know this phone call was made. I go to an AA meeting on that 
it was a Monday, December 9th, I believe it was. And I go to that meeting, the noon meeting that I normally go to every day. And uh, I just, this feeling comes over me that I need to just let everything get off my chest. Because at this point, I'm lying. To, I'm still lying to people. I'm lying to myself, lying to my family, lying to my therapist. I am saying everything's all good, 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 good. I'm telling people what they, what I think they want to hear, right? And so I finally get up and I say, listen, I don't want to live this lie. I don't want to, I want to live a transparent life. I want to be honest. I want to be upfront. I want to be happy. And I break down there in a meeting. And at the end of the meeting, this individual comes on up and a big dude, right? He, he, gra he grabs me and he's like, um, Brad, I got to tell you something. He goes, you got to become a prisoner. Well, what do you mean? Because you know what about you know about prisoners, right? You know, you're a cop. You tell them when to eat, when to sleep, when to, to go to the bathroom, when to work out, when to do whatever, everything. You tell them what they had to do, right? He goes, well, you need to become a prisoner to God. God needs to tell you when to do everything. I was like, wow. That made sense, right? The light bulb went off my head. And he goes, what you need to do is you need to talk to Tyler. And I didn't know who he was, you know, I knew that there's, there's a kid that I, uh, that I work with, right? His name's Tyler. And uh, he's a very, very spiritual kid. Love him to death, right? Him and I are very good friends. And uh, he goes, you need to talk to Tyler. So I'm like, all right. I mean, first off, how do you know that I know Tyler, right? How do you know him, right? So it was weird, right? So I call him up and I explain to him everything. And he goes, Brad, you're never going to guess what happened. I go, what? It's like, I was praying for you this past weekend. And I was praying, I was praying, and God came to me and said that if I were to give up my will and my thinking and my life up to him, that he would give me a life beyond my wildest dreams, and I'd be doing something helping out cops and veterans. I said, all right, Tyler, you're full of shit, whatever, da, 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 right? So at this point now I get called in my chief's office and he, and he brings me and he asks me, how you doing? Now in there I have the deputy chief, a SWAT commander, sergeant from IA. You know, any, anytime you see a sergeant from IA, your, your, your asshole starts puckering. You're like, shit, what the hell happened now? Yeah. Right? So I got these individuals in there and my chief asked me, how you doing? I'm good, chief. I'm going to ask you again, how are you doing? And I just broke down. I said, I'm not good. And um, again, if it wasn't for that man, I would not be here today. It's amazing when you understand and you finally realize why God puts people in your life. I now know why God put put my chief in my life and why I transferred to this job where I'm at now because he is the, he, he gets it. He understands. And, um, he got me in to go see the doctor. When so the doctor, 
and I booked a flight out to uh, talk to a gentleman by the name of uh, Bill Mazur as well. He is a former retired Atlantic City cop who um, works for Acadia Health now, who got me into another place that I went to called Sierra Tucson. So that so that night, right after I get done with this whole thing, I call my buddy Tyler up and say, hey, Tyler, you know, I need to talk to you, dude. I tell him what happened. He's like, you ready to surrender? You know, dude, I'm not, surrender's not my vocabulary, right? I don't wave the white flag. So he's like, well, you got to. So he's like, I'm coming over tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. Comes on over the next morning, 8 o'clock. He's got two Bibles in his hand, two coffees. He's like, here you go, and here you go. Right. And I hit my knees. I gave my, you know, I gave my life up to God. That was on December 10th, 2019. And ever since that day, my life has changed dramatically. Um, ended up going to, to Sierra Tucson. Um, and uh, did some, did EMDR treatment out there, did TMS therapy out there. Um, equine therapy and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And I just came back a different individual, you know, then I come back, I'm ready to go to work. I did it. I did like six, eight weeks of IOP at home. Then I'm ready to come back to work and then COVID hits. And it was, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the effect of COVID on other people in this, in this country or in the world. Right, some bad shit that we went through all as, 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 a, as a world as a whole, right? But for me, COVID was a blessing. And I'm gonna say this, the reason why. It gave me time to work on myself. The gyms were shut down. That's my, that's my only outlet, right? The gyms were shut down. All face-to-face AA meetings were shut down. We're basically left to sit in our sit in our houses, right, and do nothing. Well, but you have to socially distance, right? So, what better way to socially distance than to be outside, right? So, what I started doing was I started going fly fishing every day because at my the apartment I work at we adjust our schedules to be in one week on, two weeks off. So it was two weeks off. I was fly fishing every day. Still going to my therapist, right? Still attending my AA meetings because they're all via Zoom now, right? And I'm spending 12 hours a day fly fishing. I was able to ground myself. I was able to do more meditation, more praying, right, than ever before in my life. And by that happening to me when it happened, that was God's way of saying, Brad, you're not ready yet. You just need a little bit more fine tuning. And then I'm going to put you back into this situation. Okay. And that's what happened. Um, a couple months went by. We get back to normalcy. I'm still, you know, I'm back to work. I'm working in an admin position. Then all of a sudden a transfer list comes on out. And it goes, uh, on the list says you're going to major crimes. And I'm like, what? And I broke down crying. 
because never in a million years would I have seen myself in a unit such as that. Um, but it just shows you that it showed me that I had regained the trust of my command staff. And um, they weren't going to put me in a spot where I was going to fail. And I'm actually, and I, and I love the spot that I'm in right, right now. Absolutely love it. And um, then a couple of weeks ago, I get another phone call saying that I'm back on the SWAT team. And again, that is something that I never, ever could have possibly thought was going to happen. But again, through the grace of God and continuing to do the next right thing and just listening to him and following his cues and not pushing our own agenda and our will. That's how it happened. And um, to tell the listeners out there that, listen, if you're going through some shit right now, it's not going to be like that forever. Things will change. But in that moment, it may seem like an eternity. 22 months ago, 22 months for me has gone by pretty fast. Um, it has gone by pretty fast, but sometimes it seems like it was like dragging ass, right? But I tell you what, it was, I wouldn't have traded this scenario for anything else in the world because it made me the person I am today. And I'm a person that loves himself. And 22 months ago, I didn't. And in order to love someone else, you need to first love yourself. And this is the first time that I can actually love someone other than myself. And um, I'm very grateful for that because I never had that before. And, um, you know, just very grateful for, for everything the Lord has bestowed upon me. Good, the good, the bad, the indifferent, everything. And, um, it's all. Wow. I mean, this is what exactly what this podcast is all about. And, you know, the program, you know, the rest for responders program is that. Brad just, you know, gave, put everything out on the line, you know, fourth and one, he just put it out there and laid his heart down. Um, you know, like Brad and guys like myself, like we've been there and, you know, our program is, we don't want you to get to that rock bottom. We don't want you to get to that dark hole. We want to prevent that. So if anyone is, you know, suffering or not even suffering, but, but getting to that point where they're bothered by things and if it's drinking too much or at work and, you know, reach out to myself, our program, Brad, and let's try to get you on the right track so you don't have to hit rock bottom. And even if you do hit rock bottom, like Brad just said, <coughs> it's not forever. And I say that all the time, that depression and alcoholism, it's not you, right? It's only you if you let it. It's not you forever. But guys like Brad, myself, and all of our staff uh, at Reps, we want to prevent that by happening. And I think, you know, like Brad said, if he didn't surrender, I don't think he'd be sitting right next to me. He wouldn't be 
on back on a SWAT team, the major crimes, any of that, who knows? And I'd be the same way. It's funny because back in 2018, the same time Brad was going through his stuff, <clears throat> I was going through my stuff and I thought I was the only one out there. I remember sitting in the hospital on Christmas day, 2018. I got a, I got shampoo. I got a bar of soap and I got a black hat for Christmas at the hospital, like a beanie. And I'm like, holy shit, what a fake Christmas tree. And uh, th this was it. But we were able to surrender and get through that. So anyone listening, you know, we'll have all our contact information there. Please reach out. So first of all, Brad, you know, thanks for coming on the show. And it was, you know, definitely take this with me today and and kept me sober but before we wrap up we're going to ask you so I just want to say one thing. yeah so remember i was telling you about and this is to show you the power of of my higher power the power of forgiveness and the power of the program so remember that that kid i was telling you about that uh that overdosed and i'm with old that that boyfriend, he actually found out that I was in the program in recovery. He got my number. He reached out to me. And he goes, and that was on, Jan that was on June 2nd of 2019, he reached out to me and he goes, hey, Brad, I hear you're going through some shit. I'm here. I got your back. Whatever you need, I'm going to help you out. And I broke down and cried. Because I was, number one, I was, that totally caught me off guard. And number two is that just shows you the power that God has to change someone, right? If you want to change. And him and I are best friends now. We go fishing together. Uh, actually, this past year on, on uh, February 14th, before COVID hit, we were actually sitting next to each other. At an AA meeting, and I looked. I looked over to him. I said, "Happy birthday, sweetheart!" Right? Uh, I said, "Happy anniversary, sweetheart!" Right? That's what I said to him. And he starts laughing. And I said, "Would you have thought six six years ago that we'd be sitting together in this room right now?" He goes, "Absolutely not." And uh, just shows you the power of the power of God and what He can do for people if you let Him do it. So. Incredible. Like we said, it doesn't last forever and we're changing and growing all the time, you know, for the good or for the bad. So that's what Brad kind of just brought up. So I'm going to kick the mic back over to Brad. We're going to ask him a few personal questions um, to get you guys to let uh, the listeners to get to know Brad a little more. So Brad, um, start with some easy questions first. Your favorite movie or two, what are you going with? Uh, favorite movie, uh, without a doubt, Rudy. I'm a big, big, I'm a big Notre Dame fan. Um, and I still cry no matter how many times I watch the movie. I still cry like seven times on cue, right during that movie. Uh, and if and if you're a man and you're not crying during that movie, you need to check yourself. All right. Um, the second movie is probably gonna be um, Goodfellas. I'm gonna say, yeah, classics. One meal to eat for the rest of your life, good or healthy, every single day. What are you going with? Medium rare ribeye. That's it. Medium rare ribeye. What else you get with it? Sides. Medium rare ribeye. That's <laughs> it. That's it. There's more, more ribeye. Oh, I love it. 
one main lift to do for the rest of your life and every day you wake up recovery is okay so you're not going to be destroyed and central nervous system soreness one main lift and one accessory lift to do every day if you only had two options main lift deadlifts i would i would do deadlifts for the rest of my life um accessory lift eagle buys curls yeah yeah girls for the girls one um one person to meet to hang out with for the day dead or alive throughout history who would it be uh my grandfather walter wadby never had the chance to um to speak with him uh i have one picture of him holding me when i was uh when i was about eight months old but never had the chance to uh to speak with him and i would have loved to uh to learn about him and the rest of my family, where he came from. Oh man, I love that. We haven't gotten a family member yet after, oh, I don't even know, we were on 28, 29 episodes. There's always someone else like, you know, that that's really powerful stuff. Um, last question. If after the podcast, we walk outside, I open up my garage and there's a tarp. I'm like, yo, Brad, I lift up the tarp and it's a time machine. You can go anywhere in time. Well, now we added in the future because someone asked they can go to the future. So you can go back 20 years ago. You can go back 200 years ago. You can go back 20 days ago or 20 years in the future. Where, where are you going? I would go back to June 26th, 2020. Uh, no, I'm sorry, June 26th, 2000. That was, that was my... I believe that was my R day at West Point, and I would start over from there. And there we have it, folks. Detective Brad W. Bergen County. Brad, you know, thanks for your strength, experience, hope, your resiliency, and I think this podcast is going to be a great hit for all first responders and not. Um, so, if you guys like this podcast, please, you know, pass it around or anyone who's struggling. Uh, you guys know where to find me. This is your host, Frank, speaking. You guys can find me at reps underscore four underscore responders. And Brad, where can they find you at? You find me on uh, Instagram at, uh, at God's Breacher. So let's uh, hit me up on uh, DM there and uh, we'll chop it up. Awesome. Again, Brad, thanks for coming on the show and uh, win, right? What's important now? Have a hell of a day to have a hell of a day. Yeah.